Good evening. Uh, I would just like to say very briefly that my name is Grace Davey. I teach sociology in the University of Exeter, and I will be chairing the meeting this evening. I would like first to thank the LSE for hosting this event, for the Forum on Religion in particular. We're very, very pleased to be here. I would like to thank Effie Focas, who has done all the detailed work. Effie, thank you so much. Uh, we're enormously grateful to you. It's also my pleasure to introduce the speakers this evening. Um, many of you may know of them already, but I will do the formalities. On my right is Professor Peter Berger, who is from Boston in the US, and he directs the Institute on Culture, Religion, and World Affairs. Um, a very distinguished sociologist. Many of us have read his books for 35, 40 years. Really delighted that you're back on this particular occasion to talk about um, the election last week and more especially the religious culture that lies behind it. Peter, thank you so much for coming. Um, on my left is John Micklethwaite, whom I have not met before, though I have talked at length on the phone when he was preparing the long piece that The Economist did on religion about a year ago, Religion in Public Life. He is the editor-in-chief of The Economist, historian by training, uh, has worked briefly in banking but is primarily known as a journalist, a very distinguished journalist who um, worked first for the America desk at The Economist and now is the editor-in-chief of course, very preoccupied this week, a busy week in which finance preoccupies us all and in which there has been an election which The Economist has covered in detail. So we're really very grateful that this evening was liberated to keep this appointment. Let me just say how the evening will work out. I'm going to ask Peter to speak first. Um, he's going to speak for about 20 minutes, emphasizing particularly the culture in America particularly evangelical culture that, that has played a part in American politics, unlike that in Europe. John will respond briefly. He will then open the debate to both a, a more detailed analysis of the election and the place of religion in it, but also on religion in public life and that long developed article in The Economist, which he tells me is, is also turning into a book. Peter will have just a brief write of reply after that, and then we will open to the floor. Um, I shall take questions in, in groups, ask you to keep them brief, um, but we won't respond to each one, so we get as much dialogue as possible. We have to watch the clock because we are on quite tight schedule, and at the end, at eight, you are all invited to a reception in the atrium, which is to the left as you come out. Um, there will be a book on sale there, which I had something to do with. Um, we hope that you would be interested in buying that because formally this event is also a book launch. You're most welcome this evening. And Peter... Tell me what the book is. Oh, all right. The book is called Religious America, Secular Europe, A Theme and Variations. Peter wrote the theme 
It's, it has three authors, Peter, myself, and Effie. It's a generational affair. Peter wrote the theme. Effie and I mostly constructed the, generation, uh, the, the variations, and then we all came together in the policy implications of the last chapter. Published by Ashgate, we're delighted Sarah Lloyd, the publisher, is here with us. Sarah will be on hand. Somebody will give you a drink and somebody will give you a book, okay? Um, but I don't want to take any more time, Peter. Please tell us now um, your comments on the election and, and various things that, that, that made it what it was. Well, I was telling Grace that uh, I came this morning from Berlin. I left the United States the day after the election. I do know who won. Uh, I think, but uh, I haven't had a chance to look at any analyses or exit polls or anything like it. So I can't say very much. Grace said if I could explain Sarah Palin to an LSE audience, that in itself would be worth the price of admission, but I don't know if I really want to do that. Uh, and she agreed what I would do is talk very generally about the evangelical culture in the United States, which I think in Europe, in Britain, or on the continent, unless people are particularly working on religion in America is still a rather unknown territory. And it's very much the background of what has been happening. So that's what I will do in 20 minutes or so. Um, um, <coughs> Sarah Palin obviously has become a sort of icon of this other America, the America of evangelical culture, uh, admired or despised as the case may be. Uh, but she is not a unique figure. She belongs into a very specific social and cultural context, and that's what I will talk about. Now, um, a few general comments about this culture, and then uh, I will try to, uh, to counteract uh, some, I think, very widespread mistaken notions about it. Let me quickly say I'm uh, quite sympathetic to evangelicals. I'm not one of them. So... <laughs> Uh, I'm not speaking for my own religious community, I'm speaking as a sociologist. Perhaps the first thing to mention is it's a very large community. We are not dealing with a small sect somewhere on Tobacco Road. Uh, it, it's it's uh, depending on how you define it, and the def definition of evangelical is somewhat flexible. We are talking anywhere between 60 and 80 million Americans, which is not a small group. And what one should also mention, uh, something that um, uh, both Grace and I have been very interested in, uh, this evangelical community is now uh, part of a world community of evangelicals. And evangelical Protestantism is by any conceivable empirical measure the fastest growing religion in the world today, with enormous numbers of people, particularly in the global south. The most important ingredient of this explosion of Protestantism in the world today is Pentecostalism, which um, in its modern form originated in the United States, to uh, be precise, in 1906. But um, uh, in the United States, Pentecostalism is uh, not the major part. It's a subdivision of the evangelical world. In other parts of the world, Africa, Latin America, parts of Asia, it's the major component of um, uh, the evangelical expansion. Uh, I think it's in, in terms of America, this is important only to the extent that uh, American evangelicals are very conscious of this. Uh, they have lots of contacts with, with evangelicals in other parts of the world, and they are very conscious of being part of a burgeoning, important global phenomenon, which is not unimportant, I think. 
Now, uh, as I said, the definition of evangelicals is somewhat flexible. Um, definitions are not made in heaven. The question is, are they useful to differentiate phenomena? Let me <coughs> simply uh, mention a few uh, aspects of evangelicalism which are generally agreed upon. Um, perhaps most important uh, characteristic, it is a religious group, it's, a, it's piety, is based upon um, the conviction that uh, Christians have to go through a very personal conversion experience, which of course is what they mean by the term uh, born again. And this conversion experience, which is partly ritualized in terms of evangelical worship, is supposed to establish a personal relationship with Jesus and is sustained by a very intensive prayer life. One thing that strikes you if you have contact with evangelicals in America is that with a very simple, direct way, every meal they're going to pray. And this is simply part of the culture which to non-evangelicals uh, seems somewhat strange. Uh, generally speaking, it, uh, it's a community with a conservative theology uh, in the sense of affirming a classically supernaturalist interpretations of the Bible. Uh, it is much less than, say, if you compare it with mainline Protestants, much less uh, perceiving Christianity as basically about morality or mental health, let alone politics. Uh, it is, has to do with salvation, with God, with the eternal destiny of individuals. I would call classical Christian supernaturalism. It very strongly uh, affirms the authority of the Bible. Uh, the Bible is the ultimate authority for Christian doctrine and thought. Uh, two other characteristics which I think are significant. A uh, generally conservative moral code uh, particularly in matters of personal behavior, sexuality, marriage, things of this sort. And then, uh, very important, a, um, a belief that evangelism, missionary activity, converting others is a Christian mandate. You're not a good Christian unless you try to spread the faith. Now, as I said, this, this is a flexible definition. Um, uh, when it comes to evangelicals, uh, uh, I'm always reminded of what a, forget which one, some Supreme Court justice in a case that involved pornography, and people were trying to define pornography, and it was difficult. And he finally said, I know it when I see it. And uh, uh, that's my experience if I'm in a situation, is this really evangelical or not? After half an hour, yes, I know it when I see it. Uh, it, it it's, it's very marked. It's, it's, uh, uh, it's a very discernible, visible culture. Okay, what are some misconceptions about evangelicals which I think uh, are useful not to have? Uh, perhaps the most general one is that evangelicals are poor, are a poor and a marginal population. Um, our research center is now engaged in a very big project uh, which has attracted a lot of attention uh, about the new evangelical intellectuals which is a very significant development. We now have a database of about 500 people with graduates of elite institutions, most of them teaching in elite institutions, sophisticated, self-conscious, and clearly evangelical. They have not yet defected into the general Protestant fog 
if one may call it that. Um, uh, in terms of not just Europeans, but American intellectuals, uh, the way I've described it generally, they think, they think of evangelicals as barefoot people who chew tobacco and sleep with their sisters, uh, which I think was never a very accurate description, <coughs> but is totally, utterly misleading today. Okay. Uh, increasingly, evangelicals are middle class and have the education that goes with that class status. They're also presented or generally perceived as being dogmatic and intolerant, fundamentalist, if you will. Now, a dogmatic uh, would be correct insofar as what the, the thing I mentioned before, that you have a community with a very supernaturalist view of Christianity, um, including their belief in miracles, belief in the power of prayer to heal people. Uh, I don't think I would call that dogmatic. And when it comes to particular dogmas, uh, evangelicals uh, have quite a spread. Uh, they're quite different. I mean, take a, a community that I'm, I'm Lutheran by background, the Missouri Synod in the United States, which is a very conservative Lutheran uh, denomination. They can be called dogmatic. They have a very strict notion of what Christians ought to believe, and uh, it's not evangelical. It's, it's something uh, different. As to intolerance, I think it's not correct at all. Uh, and um, fundamentalism, uh, if you want to fu define fundamentalism as a sort of militant, aggressive uh, ideology, uh, it seems to me it is much more present in the secular world today than it is among evangelicals. Um, uh, radical feminists who are uh, thick on the ground in the Boston area, I would say, are much more fundamentalist than most evangelicals that I know. Uh, basically, I would say that kind of uh, attitude called fundamentalism is present all over the religious and indeed ideological spectrum. Uh, another misconception is that evangelicals are anti-science. That's an interesting issue. Uh, one aspect of science that they have difficulty with is, uh, the, uh, is critical scholarship applied to the Bible. That's still a very serious issue, which other Protestants, and indeed Catholics and Jews, have sort of absorbed now. It's, it's, it's okay to look uh, at, say, the Hebrew Bible or the New Testament in terms of modern scholarship. That's very difficult if you have the attitude to the Bible that evangelicals have. And they are trying to cope with it, I think in some places quite successfully. As to natural sciences, I think there's not much of a problem, except for the very small group of evangelicals who literally believe in the book of Genesis and therefore think the world started 6,000 years ago with Adam and Eve. Well, if you believe that, you have a problem with modern science. But that is not what evangelicals generally believe. Incidentally, in terms of the change among evangelicals, a very interesting thing is the, which most people still put in the same box is the move from creationism to intelligent design. You've probably read about these terms. Creationism is the belief in uh, the literal truth of the book of Genesis, and therefore the rejection of evolution, which is a very difficult to do if you have any degree of higher education. Uh, well, you know, human race, 6,000 years old, etc. But intelligent design is something quite different. Intelligent design does not deny uh, evolution. What the evangelical design people, they are quite well funded now. They have a big institute on the West Coast and they publish books. 
What they say is, yeah, we believe in evolution, but it's inconceivable to look at this phenomenon without an intelligent mind behind it. Now, what, what struck me in first coming across this is that what most religious people would say, I mean, it's probably what the Archbishop of Canterbury would say, or the, or the Pope has said. Um, the mistake I think the intelligent design people make is they think that is science. I don't think science can establish an intelligent mind behind the evolutionary uh, uh, process. But to say that we, it's difficult to imagine this without an intelligent mind is not something unusual. And that is the predominant view among evangelicals today. A couple more things, and then I think I'll be well within my allotted time. Uh, politically, and that is very much a situation which is in flux. And I think uh, John is going to say some things about it because it's his business to keep in touch with the latest data, um, political data. Uh, of course, the idea is that evangelicals are all right-wing. Uh, that is an oversimplification, um, even leaving aside what happened last week, which is very interesting and I think still remains to be completely clear. Uh, it is true, I think, or at least has been true until now, that evangelicals tend to be Republicans. And that has a history behind it. It has to do with various social issues which became politically relevant. But um, uh, generally speaking, uh, we now have some good information. Uh, for example, in terms of foreign policy, very important area. Uh, you have the notion among uh, uh, intellectuals in the United States and certainly people in Europe that um, evangelicals are an influence in terms of kind of millenarian American imperialism uh, based on the Bible in some way. Uh, well, there are four areas, and we have data on this, uh, four areas in which we know that organized evangelicals have been very influential in influencing American policy. One is the issue of religious freedom. Evangelicals were very influential in creating, in making, well, there's now the State Department has to issue an annual report, freedom, religious freedom in the world, in addition to its human rights report, and the uh, establishment of a tax-funded but independent United States Commission on International Religious Freedom. And they've been very active in this. Uh, the other is um, 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 sex trafficking, uh, sex traffic of women, which they're very upset about, and again, have been politically influential in dealing with. Uh, then there's Dafur, which they got involved because the original insurrection in southern Sudan involved Christians, and in fact involved evangelicals. And then the Dafur thing, where I don't think there are many Christians, has been a further interest of theirs. And finally, Israel. Uh, uh, in terms of non-Jewish Americans, evangelicals are more pro-Israel than any other group. Okay, whatever you think about these four issues, it's very difficult to put them into a category that says right wing. It's, it's quite complicated. And in terms of political alliances, the, the uh, religious freedom issue has put evangelicals in alliance with the whole human rights uh, community, uh, the uh, women sex traffic in women has put them in, in, in alliance with the with feminists, the uh, Darfur issue with, with the Black Caucus, and of course Israel uh, with Jewish organizations. 
very difficult to say this is right wing. So it's much more complicated than that. Um, finally, uh, I would say there is the, um, well, let me say one more thing uh, in terms of the political situation. Um, everything I know about uh, American society is that the activists, uh, the political activists, uh, are much more polarized than the general population. And uh, what has happened, which is very interesting, the, um, yes, there has been uh, developed in recent decades a kind of, what shall we call it, natural affinity between a secular left of center uh, activist intelligentsia and the Democratic Party. And similarly, a kind of affinity between conservative, socially conservative, strongly evangelical uh, people uh, and the Republican Party. I think that uh, has become, is almost accidental. I could easily have imagined the opposite having happened. But once this affinity occurs, of course, it, it gains a certain uh, permanence because these are the people who write checks, I mean the activists who write checks, who answer doorbells, uh, ring on doorbells, um, uh, who are the, the troops of political campaigns. Um, uh, on most of these issues, which the activists are very excited about, uh, general population tends to be much more relaxed. I mean, take sort of hot button issues, uh, uh, homosexuality, okay. Uh, what we know, most Americans don't particularly like homosexuals. Uh, they are tolerant. They don't want to call any union marriage, uh, but uh, they are not terribly excited about it. Um, um, this, I think, is important uh, to uh, understand. Um, let me conclude with one more comment on uh, millenarianism, on uh, supposedly evangelical-inspired millenarian American foreign policy. Uh, I was about a year ago at a conference in France where there was a French professor who talked about the Bush administration, uh, of which I have not been excessively fond, but what he said annoyed me. And that was his thesis, that Bush foreign policy is, is a millenarian project inspired by evangelical Protestants uh, to establish democracy on the tips of bayonets all over the world. And. Um, <laughs> I, I said to him, well, I think this is empirically wrong. You know, evangelicals are not that strong in the Bush administration. Uh, Dick Cheney, uh, Powell, Rumsfeld. Okay, but leaving aside the question how many evangelicals influenced uh, what Bush did in foreign policy, um, the idea of establishing a democracy on the tips of bayonets is not a particularly American idea at all, certainly not an evangelical one. Indeed, in modern history, it originated in France, it was known as Jacobinism, and its most important representative was Napoleon Bonaparte, a well-known born-again Christian. <laughs> I think that's thank where I please. should end. Okay, thank you very much indeed. Um, John, can you start with maybe a comment or two, filling in the detail, and then take us where you want us to go? Okay, um, what I'll do is I'll say, a bit, I'll say a bit about America, trying to fill in a bit around what Peter said, and then I'll cast it back towards the world and try to um, try to push into Europe, I think, particularly. I do so with considerable trepidation, because I, um, I can't think of two people 
who know more about the subject of religion and politics than, than, than um, Peter and Grace. And it's, it, I haven't read their book, but purely on the basis of the title and who they are, I suggest you all do. Um, I wish I wish I'd known about it before. I, um, Trying to write, as I said, trying to write a book on religion myself, and that this would be something I would crib extensively. So it's an advance warning of plagiarism. Um, <laughs> in terms of US, I, I, I think was it, yes, religion was in this election. Religion was quite important, but obviously, I don't think as 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 important as it seemed on the previous one. And, and the obvious number to bring up is if you look at the issues last time in 2004. Um, the issue which finished top in 2004 was this issue of moral values, um, which various European media organisations spent a vast amount of noise about the fact that the single biggest group of voters last time round in 2004 chose moral values as their reason which they cite as most important. This was always something of a canard, because basically if you took national security plus Iraq, that was bigger. And if you took various versions of the economy, that was also bigger. But at least in the sort of official exit poll, it did come up. And I think it was less important this time. And I think if you had to ask me why, I think there were sort of three reasons. One was Obama himself. I think Obama did. Um, most people thought of Obama as a fairly religious person. I think he, as we discussed backstage, he won the Catholic vote, which is interesting. John Kerry, a Catholic, did not win the Catholic vote. I think he, he, he definitely appealed to evangelicals, as far as I could work, uh, sort of evangelicals of the left or evangelicals of the center, who didn't find him quite as frightening as other, um, as, as certainly the hardcore did. Um, there was an element that people looked at him and thought that he was genuine about faith in a way that people were not at all sure that John Kerry was. Um, Bill Clinton was obviously I think rather genuine about faith, but largely in the sense of going, going for forgiveness um, <laughs> when in trouble. Um, Obama, Obama, you know, part of Obama's speech, which I think was one of, one of the best speeches of the campaign about race and about his preacher, was also had it had a dose of religion in it. The whole the whole way in which Obama speaks um, is repeatedly about the idea of redemption, and in, indeed, what would I don't know whether Peter went, but if you if you wandered round um, American megachurches, I've obviously done the, 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 oddly there was quite a lot familiar about that if you, if you, if you, if you visited a, an Obama rally, it was definitely a lot of high-flown rhetoric and a great feeling of people who sort of thought they wanted to be saved so I think, I think Obama did tie into that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest that he, I'm pretty sure the, the records would show that he didn't win a majority of the evangelical vote but he at least held the line against them in a way that um, John Kerry didn't and Al Gore didn't. Um, the second reason I think is McCain. McCain, I don't think I'm betraying any great confidence, is to say that if you hang out with the religious right and you hang out with John McCain, they hate each other at least as much as the people around Blair and Brown hate each other. They, 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 it, it, it's a, it, a case of pure dislike on both counts. Um, the, uh, McCain attacked them when he ran in 2000, condemned them as agents of intolerance and they've never really forgiven him for it. I, I think actually McCain wrongly, in my view, went to go and suck up to them in a rather so stupid way in, in, in 2000. It was one of the signs, at the very beginning of his campaign, and actually at the time I thought that condemned him because it looked so completely out of character. Then briefly he, came, he went back to being the real McCain. McCain, McCain I, I'm, not, I'm not making any comments about McCain's sort of personal faith. I think McCain probably is a sort of reasonably religious man. 
but he has a profound dislike of the way that the religious right has got hold of a particular chunk of the Republican Party. Um, what was quite interesting is that McCain, I thought, began to really began to make some traction with this before Palin. Is that there was, which again didn't perhaps get that much publicity over here, but there was an early debate organized by Rick Warren, who's one of the big um, uh, preachers in America. And that McCain won quite considerably. McCain answered all the questions directly in a straightforward way. Obama waffled terribly. And that was the first sign I thought that McCain was really beginning to connect to these people. And if, even if the, the leaders of the religious right hated McCain, the, the sort of troops would come round to him. The fact he had Huckabee on his side was also a plus point. And then obviously by choosing Palin, he sort of got the whole lot on his side. Um, there was a sudden, almost rather, um, uh, say, Paul on the road to Damascus style event with people like Focus on the Family and all that lot. They suddenly decided that Palin McCain was the best thing ever having previously been ready to denounce him and indeed to pray for terrible things to happen to him. Um, the, Palin was such a gigantic leap in their direction that they, they recognized it and went for it. I think the third reason why religion didn't, mention, didn't, didn't, didn't really work in this um, particular election is actually the religious right generally has run out of steam or it, it's certainly still a force in American politics, but it had overreached, I think. It overreached gigantically between 2004 and 2006. The sort of old men who lead it um, went on a sort of victory tour after, after, after the 2004 election in particular. Uh, the is issues like Terry Schiavo, the lady who was um, at least brain damaged, if not brain dead, who they, who they kept alive and kept Congress waiting, that, I think that just irritated a vast amount of people. I think people like Ralph Reed getting caught in um, various scandals. And even, I think, a couple of days before the 2006 wipeout, um, my person I, I write a lot of stuff with attended um, a League of Values Voters rally, I think three months before the, um, before the 2006 congressional election. And at the time, you had the religious right in full pomp, um, bossing around everybody with Bush and even Cheney, who I agree isn't remotely in this mold, um, having to deliver votes of thanks to them. But actually, in retrospect, watching these people um, was very much like watching a kind of British Army officers' mess in 1912. Um, they, 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 all the people who appeared on the thing were, def were knocked out immediately in the 2006 elections. And again, the religious right got it wrong, I think, in the 2008 election. They, did, they, they couldn't find anyone to rally around. The person who I think is probably the most eloquent standard bearer for them is, is Huckabee, and they didn't... They didn't that all the foot soldiers went off to that, but the leaders couldn't take him, couldn't understand him, um, and they sort of drifted backwards and forwards. And you get a sense that there is a new leadership appearing in the religious right in America, which people like Warren is a very good example, but they are much more the sort of softer sort of evangelicals who Peter spoke about. So I think that's, that, the, the, all, for all those reasons, I think religion didn't matter as much in, 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 a, in, a, in, in this particular election as before. Um, in terms of um, what I was trying to link it back into, with Europe and the world, um, my, my observation, I suppose, would begin from the idea that I still think of Europe as the odd one out. Um, for, as Peter alluded to, I think faith everywhere else is tending to increase, um, especially not, you can have long arguments about the numbers, but certainly in terms of intensity, um, America we mentioned, but again, as Peter noticed, 
um, Latin America, Asia. The particularly remarkable one to me is China. And actually, I think China is an issue. I think I would almost begin to put China as an issue for the evangelicals in America as, as one of the, if the, I think Peter's list of four was absolutely right. But the fifth, which I think is growing very, very quickly, is China. And I would certainly predict that China will be the world's biggest Christian country, probably by 2050. Um, and if you go there and visit house churches and things, it's the most um, extraordinary experience. Um, so, by, against all those context, I see the Europeans as the odd one out. We create an endless amount of statistics. 43% of Britons say they have no religion. Two-thirds of people, 18 to 24, say they, are, say they have no religion. Half the wedding is a civil, the best-known Christian, I think, nowadays almost seems to be Cliff Richard, who's not perhaps not ideal, <laughs> born-again Christian. Um, uh, most Europeans are worse... Um, the numbers for France and Germany on the whole are worse than they are here and you can go on, these are all things which Grace knows much much more than I am so I do it rather nervously I, I do think, having just said I think we're generally the odd one out I'd immediately come back and this may make us slightly happier and say that I do think it's overstated um, first of all you have the influence of Eastern Europe once you start, when people when Americans sit there and denounce godless Europe they seem to forget about places like Poland um, and they seem to forget about places in the East. And you were talking earlier about Russia um, and what's happened to orthodoxy there. I think they also forget about the impact of immigrants um, here. I'm going to come back to Islam very obviously in a bit. But I think also the, Im the impact of Christian immigrants is gigantic. If you wander into the East End of London and look at the people who are actually filling the churches, or you look at Britain's mega churches, again, you tend to find a lot of immigrants in them. Um, I think also there's, and the, again, I'm very much just stealing what Grace Davis said, much cleverer, much more, much more depth than I have. I think there are signs of revival in the West. I think you can look at the, at the example she gives of things like pilgrimages. I think you can also look at the, you know, the fact that two million people have taken the Alpha course is, I think, a fairly good indication that something is stirring. May not be as may not be as, as, as big and as dramatic as what's happening in America, but something is definitely happening. I think there's also, and again, I apologise for stealing this from her, but it's a way of spreading the news, so to speak. I think it's not just a question of demand side. I think there's also some degree of supply side changes. I think you can look at this idea of religion moving, as she puts it, from a public utility to something where people are much more choosing which they're going to happen. And you can see various state religions being disbanded. All those reasons, I think there is, there is I think, and it's very, very difficult to... Um, to, to um, be absolutely categoric about it, there does seem to be something happening which at least suggests a partial reversal of that trend. Even if Europe is still an outlier, it's one where maybe a sort of stand is being made against it or the beginning of it. It's very, very difficult to, 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 to measure it. I, I, the, the most optimistic, which I can't remember this from Grace or, or someone else, is, is that if you look at the p levels of participation in Europe at the moment, um, I think they're roughly about the same as it was in America before they had um, the, 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 the Constitution, which separated church from state, which people like me who believe in the free market would argue that is the main thing that, 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 that Europe could do in terms of um, letting its religions free, would be to have some kind of free market. I don't entirely think, I don't entirely buy the idea that um, you have one group of people who argue... Uh, that the world is basically going secular 
Um, and that America is the great exception to this. You know, you get more modern, you're going to, and, and that obviously doesn't seem to make much sense. I don't quite buy the argument the other way that you that it's just about the free market because it strikes me that in Europe the free market has been, free market in religion has not been perfect, but on the whole, if you look at Britain, it hasn't been that difficult to set up a church for the past 100 years. It's just that people haven't tended to do it. So I think it has a lot to do with media. It has a lot to do with the way that people think. It has a lot to do with the way that social services are developed. And that's a, that's a long issue, which Grace knows far more about than I do. But I'm just I'm just raising this issue. So generally, Europe, an exception, not, I think, as much of one as we as, as, as people should make, have, have been making out. I think if the numbers are going that way, I think the politics are getting much, much more similar to Europe, to, to America. That's partly to do with all the numbers things, which I've skirted through rather quickly. Um, this sort of revival of more intense religion, I'd certainly put Ratzinger in that category of somebody who seems to want a sort of two-speed Catholicism, whereby there's one bit who he doesn't really care about very much, which are, which are I've described as um, fellow traveling Catholics. And then there's a hard core, which he does, which he seems to be devoting quite a lot of attention to. You could end up with a much more intense Catholicism from the point of view of, um, of religion and politics without the numbers particularly moving in the same direction. I think there is a general trend towards um, more politics of meaning. This is a much more difficult thing to launch now, given what's happening in the economy. But I do buy the idea that actually economics and those sort of arguments are not necessarily going to be the ones which, on the whole, Western developed societies are going to move towards. You look at issues like stem cells, you look at the sort of personal moral issues which have caused America such a degree of grief. I, do, I think you see those coming to Europe, not just here, but also in sort of unusual places. And they're not always religion, the main, the main anti-stem sort of cell, the main anti-euthanasia um, uh, campaigner in Italy, for instance, is a a large fat atheist who believes that it's very, um, um, who doesn't like religion, but still views it as a, as a, as a still views it as something which is morally wrong. So it's not in the same, not couched in the same terms as, um, as um, sorry, the large fat atheist is the way he describes himself rather than my description, <laughs> before I get lynched by atheists. Um, it, it, the, the, I'm the, I think beyond that, if there's a general trend towards the politics of meaning, I think you could just about argue there's been a general trend towards politicians who've taken that route. It's noticeable that Blair, um, I think, was a fairly devout man. I think Brown is another person for whom he was very much born at Samuel de Mance. I think if you look at Sarkozy, um, Sarkozy's book, which you may not know, is called La République, Les Religions, L'Espérance. Um, he's another politician bringing in religion. I think you could see bits again in Hungary and places like that. The big thing forcing religion into European politics, though, I think will obviously be Islam. I just don't think there's any way around that. Islam, you can go through all the individual debates which involve Islam, but the particular thing I think it raises is some kind of um, reappearance of what might be described as the ultra-montane problem, whereby people think that there is some degree of appeal um, to an external um, uh, religious authority in the same way that my, my family are all Catholics here, that people used to think that Catholics in, in, in Britain were, were sort of motivated by the Pope. That sort of feel, I think, will make life very difficult. I think also Islam is the religion which is, seems to have, if you look around the world, the most difficulty um, with modernity. And all those things come together. So for all those reasons, which I've skated over very quickly, regardless of what you think about in terms of religion, 
growing or maybe not, maybe recovering, maybe coming back a bit in, in Europe. I think in terms of its effect on politics, I'm much, much more convinced that will happen, and not least also because of the fact that politics and religion is becoming such a big issue outside. If you look at um, everything that has happened because um, 19 young men uh, wrongly, obviously, invoking God did a terrible thing in America. If you look at the consequences of that for um, what has happened to British and indeed European foreign policy, it's very hard, I think, to make the argument that religion has been thrown out of politics in the way that people used to 20, 30 years ago. So for all those reasons, I think that actually there will be some degree of convergence between um, Europe and America. I'm trying to bring all the strands of my argument together. But that basically, America, the religious temperature is going down a little bit um, in terms of religion and politics. Europe, I think, is generally going up. And in the background, you have these much more epoch-making questions of wars of religion and stuff like that. So that would be my that would be my overall thing. I hope I've filled in some of the holes around Peter. In a moment, I'll ask Peter whether that was so. Um, before, just let me ask you directly, why did the editor-in-chief of, of The Economist, who must be a busy man, devote considerable time, <coughs> energy, and space in your journal to a long piece on religion? Is it for the reasons you've told us, or is there anything more that you could add? It's all a plot. Um, that's what <laughs> I remember interviewing some hin uh, uh, Hindu nationalist politician in, in, in India, and he described my interest in religion as all, all a conspiracy. Um, no, it was, it, there were two things. One, actually, and, I, and this is not so much under me, I should credit my predecessor, and, and actually our correspondent may be here. We, we, did, we sort of brought in a religion correspondent about sort of four or five years ago. Um, you could argue that was, Peter would probably say that's rather late, but, but it just struck us as something which was becoming a, a bigger and bigger issue. And my interest in it was purely that I, when I stopped and looked around the world, um, I had this background of looking at American politics. It's what suddenly began to strike me was that a lot of issues which I'd seen there were beginning to develop outside. And, I, and, it, and it did, for what it's worth, um, religion is a hot topic if you want to sell magazines, not something I knew until after I'd written it, because people buy these, buy, buy copies in a large amount. One of the other news magazines, I think, whenever they put religion on their cover, they get a sort of 10, 20 percent increase. So there is, um, there may well be sound commercial reasons for doing it, but the, but the, <laughs> the real reason is it's just a, it's a, it's a fascinating, interesting subject, and I thought we hadn't looked at it in enough depth. Thank you. Peter, do you want to make a short statement? Well, I, I agree with everything that John said. I mean, a question we didn't discuss is what, uh, uh, to what extent is the recent election in the United States uh, harboring of great change, and I think this will depend on, I think it will mainly depend on what happens to the economy. I mean, before we say goodnight, I hope that uh, John will reassure me that the whole economic system is not going to collapse. I will be able to live <laughs> on my pension and will not have to sell apples on the street of Boston a couple of years from now. But um, uh, if, the, if the economic crisis does not reach these apocalyptic dimensions, I think there's going to be a shift back to a somewhat earlier picture in America. And right now, I mean, obviously, if you're afraid of losing your house, your job, and your pension, that's a more urgent concern than abortion, yeah. uh, with which you have no immediate relationship, let us assume. So, and we know, I mean, from the, what I do know of the data, I mean, the polling data, until the uh, fiscal crisis erupted, financial crisis erupted, McCain and Obama were very close to each other. And then when the crisis occurred, uh, McCain went through the 
So, I mean, I think a lot will depend on that development. I, th I think it will. I mean, just to play devil's advocate, though, I think I think the economy, um, the economy will matter. Um, I think there was one of the bad things about Palin, um, regardless of whatever you thought about her, was that there were two bad things just in the way she was selected. One was that she was selected um, by McCain, having only met her twice, um, very briefly, which didn't altogether give great confidence if that was the way he was going to choose the second most powerful person in the world about the way that he would deal with people a little bit lower down. Um, the second thing was that he seemed to, you know, the main reason for choosing her was, seemed to be pretty much abortion, if, I, if you're really, really tough on it. That, that, that was, that, that was, it was just sending a message to pro-life America that this matters enormously, enormously to me. And that, I think, at a time when, as Peter says, the economy was so much to the fore, people, people, I think, did react against the fact that the, somebody was still saying these, uh, these, you know, deeply divisive issues were still the most important thing. I think wasn't necessarily a, a good, a clever thing in McCain. I do think, however, though, I, I, it strikes me that, despite what I said earlier, it's, it, it, there's two sort of things which have people, two uh, balancing acts people have got to put, put, pull off. One is Obama. You know, if Obama jumps heavily to one side on these social issues, I mean, Obama also sent out these quite conservative messages to do with the way, particularly to do with blacks, to do with, you know, that you have, it took a very much kind of Bill Cosby line about it. You know, he refuses to, to really buy the black victim. I mean, I'm generalizing terribly, and I'm sorry if I offend people. Um, he, didn't, he didn't buy the sort of black victim idea, which a lot of black politicians make a, make a huge amount of that of, um, some grounds justifiably. Obama very much said, you know, we have problems and we have to deal with them, and we need to face the facts about why there are so many black illegitimate children and things like that. He took quite conservative attitudes on those things. If he is seen as moving sharply to the left, if he becomes identified with, um, dare I say it, kind of Boston liberalism, um, which is one of his original problems. You know, he was this man who, who told farmers to grow arugula and bold 32, which is basically pathetic at bowling in Pennsylvania. Um, you know, he, was, he seemed a bit too like John Kerry for his own good to begin with. Then he sort of reestablished himself as being somewhat more earthy character. If he swings too much and on some of these social issues, you could find him actually beginning to irritate people like working-class Catholics in fairly large numbers, and also, I suspect, quite a lot of middle-of-the-road evangelicals. It strikes me that the evangelical right also has a very difficult task at the moment. I mean, the Republicans, I still think you know, America is basically a conservative country, or center-right country, but they have this ongoing war between southern Republicans tend to take a sort of southern fried attitude towards these moral questions, and the more kind of loose-limbed Western Republicans. And the fact that the Republican Party seemed enormously southern seems to be the reason why they've alienated other people. So how they come back into it, I don't know. So I think religion in those two ways could play a role. Thank you both. Um, we now open up the debate. We have people with microphones each side. Um, I'm going to stack questions. If anybody goes too long, the microphone will be taken from you. Okay? I mean it. Um, who would like to get this one first in the middle? Okay. Please say who you are and keep your question comment direct. I'm Paul Friedman. Um, for, for either of you or any of you, I guess, uh, for some time now, I've been reading about uh, the, the growth in the number of Latino Americans who tend to be Catholic, of course, and 
how that could have uh, an influence, how there might be an affinity between um, Catholics tend to be conservatives in the states and, uh, and the Republican Party. But I didn't see that in this election, and, I, and I'm just wondering, is this something that, going back to the question beyond, is this something that we may see in future elections? Thank you. Um, this one at the one here, then. Can we do this one while we're waiting for the microphone? Thank you. My name is Christoph von Lutitz, and I'm involved in St. Ethelburgers, which is a, a place where uh, religion is discussed uh, very openly and all sides, sides of it. Um, I have two questions. One is, um, what significance would you attach to the fact that the, if we can call her the failed um, vice presidential <laughs> candidate, after the election came out very openly and saying, God will guide me in the next few years, indicating probably that she will stand again in a different way. And the other question is, do you think the, the economic crisis will have a, uh, if you want to call it, positive effect on, um, on religion becoming more popular, more uh, interesting, um, not the least, because it is free. <laughs> Thank you. <coughs> Can you take it back that way, okay? Yeah, uh, Keith Raffin. Um, first point is just simply that it wasn't uh, Obama perhaps lucky that moral values did not dominate the election campaign. I'm thinking particularly because two significant parts of his coalition, Latinos and even more blacks, are, are highly socially conservative. And there was a, a somewhat of an irony that uh, commentators have attributed the passing of Proposition 8 in California, um, which banned gay marriage, to the fact that the blacks turned out in such numbers to support Obama. Um, one there, and then there'll be one in the middle right after. So the one at the back now. And can you get it to the middle there? Thank you. My name is Joe Lay, and uh, my question is actually goes to Michael Thwaite. Uh, I read an article, It's Time, which is a cover story comes before the election. It seems to me that you have already made decision before American made made decision to pick the Obama. So um, is it a rare case for your editorial board or you, it's happening all, all the time? My second question is you said China would be a very Christianized society. So will, will the Christianized society Chinese society uh, be uh, like the, this trend will be lubricate this hostility a little bit. I mean, will be accepted by the international uh, community better. The one in the middle at the back. Okay. Are there any? Oh. Yeah. Uh, my name is Daniel Dehanis from uh, North Carolina, University of North Carolina. Um, and my question is that so far we've heard that um, religion has had less of an influence on the American election. I think it's hard to disagree with that, but I wonder if religion had an influence in quite a different way. Um, and a few of the comments that we heard about um, how Obama has this sort of preaching oratory, which is quite powerful, I think are, are interesting. Um, and I wonder if he's actually been able to tap into a civil religion sort of nerve in America. Um, if in a sense, um, like Robert Bell would talk about civil religion, um, as a idea of America's higher calling and sort of accountability to its great mission and sort of this um, initial experiment with the Constitution and these sort of biblical-like documents. 
Um, if Americans actually do sort of believe in the American experiment again with this leader who can sort of bring on that mission further. Um, so if, if in a sense Obama's popularity and success is actually religious in a different form than we've seen in, in recent elections. Are there any up, upstairs? One there just behind and then we'll pause but I have seen you. Um, hi, my name is Josh Hendon. Um, I was just wondering, do you think the sort of mobility of the EU and the ability for people to move around within it um, contribute to sort of the secularism that's been associated with uh, Europe? I did see you, but we'll pause just for a moment. Peter, do you want to go first? It's quite a variety to choose from. No, there's no way of talking no. to all of these Pitch issues. In where you would, um, Let me just get a couple that, that um, I may have something to say to. Uh, first question on Latinos. <coughs> <clears throat> One thing uh, that you should realize is an enormous number of Latinos are now Protestants. Uh, it's difficult to say how many. I would say <coughs> at least 25% and possibly more. And uh, the overwhelming majority of them are evangelicals. In fact, very many of them are Pentecostal. Now, I don't, haven't seen any data on how this affected the recent elections. Maybe John knows. But in terms of do not think of Latinos as being a totally Catholic body. The majority are still Catholic very significant Protestant minority. On Palin, <laughs> uh, God will guide me. Uh, any evangelical would say this. I mean, uh, there's nothing peculiar about it. I mean, what I find strange is so many people think Palin is such a strange creature. Well, she is if you live in the Harvard Faculty Club, or maybe if you live in LSE, but she's not strange at all. And any evangelical would say, uh, God will guide me and tell me what to do. I mean, that's part of the culture. So I don't find that uh, particularly uh, predictive of what she will do in terms of, of politics. Um, uh, I won't talk to the other thing. Let me just mention uh, one thing about China, which is I, I agree. I, I don't know if, if John is a little bit too uh, um, magnanimous in what he expects of the growth of Christianity, but China is exploding. Uh, Christianity is exploding in China. Um, I was in China earlier this summer, and we are planning a project my institute on Christianity in China. Uh, uh, it's very difficult to know how big it is because much of it is still semi-illegal, unregistered, but it's huge and uh, certainly involves millions of people and continues to grow and increasingly is not just the people in the countryside where it was strong a few years ago, but it's in the cities. It's people with middle class status <coughs> and increasingly, what seems very interesting, party members. And the party is now discussing whether religious people, which mainly is a Buddhist revival going on, but the main thing is Christians, whether religious people can be party members. Uh, I don't know how that discussion will go, but since um, uh, capitalists can now be members of the Communist Party of China, why not Christians? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and the two categories, to some extent, overlap. Um, you must clearly explain your editorial line. Yes, I don't, I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> on the, sorry, on the, yes, on, on the endorsing, um, yeah, I'm afraid we, we always do it. Um, I've had to write endless letters to people last week in America um, explaining we, our, our view is that we're, uh, um, we bossily tell people what to do on God knows how many things. Um, <laughs> so it seems rather strange to wimp out of possibly what their biggest choice is, is who to, who to vote for president. So we've always endorsed people. Um, uh, sometimes like, we tend to endorse whoever's running against so Senor um, Berlusconi. 
he always wins. So on the whole, <laughs> we're not we're not normally successful with with Obama. Anyway, um, on the other ones, I, I agree to totally Peter about Pentecostal, the Pentecostal and Latinos. I, I didn't. Twenty five percent might be seems a tiny bit high to me, but it, but it could well be. I, I don't know. On on the immigration, um, on on their political affiliation, they tend to go left on the economy and right on social issues and it's the Republicans' eternal stupidity that they've managed to become the anti-immigrant party and you see people who aren't anti-immigrant like Schwarzenegger or to be fair, Bush you know, doing very well with them and McCain is actually disastrous from that point of view for the Republicans because he was a man who fought very hard in his kind of nice good old McCain fashion to, 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 to help Latinos and yet by that stage his party had become so identified with them um, anti-immigrant stuff. Um, God will guide me on Palin. I have the sort of vision of God telling her repeatedly not to run and her just not listening. <laughs> um, religion um, and, 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 and the economy, I, I suspect, I was listening the other day on the radio and they had the man who played JR in Dallas and the most interesting thing he seemed to say was that people, ra one reason why Dallas did particularly well during a recession is because people couldn't afford a babysitter. So they just had to sit at home um, and, and, and watch television. And you have visions of churches may be being a sort of, as you say, a cheaper version of entertainment, and God knows they are. Entertainment is quite a large function of what they are, particularly the megachurches in America. Um, and the blacks and Latinos, I mentioned, uh, but certainly, yes, Bush um, won Ohio because conservative blacks voted for him uh, largely on the, quite, quite a lot on the basis of the gay marriage issue. Um, in endorsing, I mentioned Christian China. And my other point on China, which, which sort of ties a little bit into what Peter said, Nobody knows how many there are. I, I think there are already more Christians in China than there are members of the Communist Party, which is about 70 million um, Communist Party members. I think it's more than that. You see some wild figures of 130, 140 million. That, that doesn't sort of feel right, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's somewhere around there. Um, I think the interesting thing on, on terms of the peacefulness of it is, yes, that will make um, China more peaceful towards the rest of the world, towards bits of the rest of the world, um, I think the dangerous thing is how the state inside reacts to it. So it strikes me there's two things, there's, there's two very hostile, two very competing views of um, how the state deals with religion in China. One is um, that actually it quite likes it. It's replaced, it's providing social glue. They're, they're desperately, desperately trying to encourage Confucianism in pretty much every way they can. Exactly. They, 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 they see it as the new opium of the people. And they, you find a lot of the technocrats, a lot of the technocrats wanting to, wanting to do that. Against that, you definitely have a faction within the Chinese leadership who think of the Christians as the people who ran the rebellions in the 19th century. Um, they associate, I'm told, um, the downfall of the Soviet empire. They, they attribute a, an enormous role in that to John Paul II. And they have, they, 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 and you could see what they did with the Falun Gong. If, if Christian churches, I think they're possibly the biggest NGO already in China. You just the word non-governmental organisation is not a good one to be attached to. Um, Obama, the, the, the higher calling. Um, um, one thing that struck me, your right on that is that Obama did have this um, semi-religious thing. It also goes quite deeply into that idea of America as a sort of chosen nation, one on the hill. Um, it, that, I think that all sort of comes together a bit under Obama, and that could also be part of it. And on the EU, my only thought on that is the question of the moving, the person who asked about that up there, is uh, it's quite odd in America when people move, 
they, they look for their church. You know, you, you send these people relentlessly from suburb to suburb and they land in each place and the first thing they do is go and find their church. And in, in Europe, you, people don't. And I suspect it's one of the ways in which public services, the fact that we have such a bigger welfare state, it doesn't, you know, you, you go to a church in America partly for reasons of belief, but also partly because it's the beginning of your social infrastructure. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't seem to work as much here, so maybe putting down barriers, I'm not sure what the effect will be, but there is a difference between mm. the two. That was masterly between you. Um, we cover practically everything, so we're ready to go again. There's one, one here, and then another one there. Three, four, five. Okay, one, two, three, four, five. Um, my question concerns... Uh, Who are uh, you? Could you? Uh, sorry, my name is um, Harold Emanuel. Uh, my question uh, concerns uh, the proselytizing enthusiasm of the evangelicals uh, and um, its relationship in part to their uh, equal enthusiasm uh, and uh, perhaps slightly uncritical support for, um, for, for Israel. Uh, given that the um, Jewish community in America, like other Jewish communities, will be very wary of uh, proselytizing, uh, and is it, uh, do, do I understand correctly or otherwise, as one does here, that the reason for the uh, evangelicals' enthusiasm for Israel uh, is not unconnected with their belief that uh, eventually all Jews will convert to um, uh, Christianity at the time of the Second Coming, which will apparently happen uh, when uh, the whole of the Promised Land is uh, 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 controlled by uh, um, uh, Jewish people or some such a slightly bizarre idea? Could you pass it this way? What was the next one? Um, I, my name is Bonerji, Sila Bonerji, and uh, I'm interested in, um, in India. Um, very early on, there was a movement by the government to say that um, many missionaries who had come before independence were now not welcome if they were going to convert. They Thank you. Good evening. My name is Pasquale Nicchino. I'm a PhD student at the University of Siena. I work there in the Center for Law Religion. I'm actually writing a PhD comparing the case law of the U.S. Supreme Court and the European Court of Human Rights and Religious Freedom. And I'm LLM student here at UCL. My main question is concerns the, the political relations between the United States and the Vatican and the Vatican. Because starting from the Reagan administration, there were there were really strong ties between the world vision that the American had and the Vatican had. Now, as we have seen since this morning, or since yesterday, the Vatican is really worried with Obama, with the Obama position on social issues. And th this is one point. The other thing is that there, was, there were also kind of common vision between the US 
and, that, and, and the Vatican under the Bush administration concerning the relationship with China because, I mean, the relationship that the Vatican has with China are not some, like, so strong relations. So I wonder how this relation between the U.S. and the Vatican from one side and the Chinese government on the other, or the other side is going to develop, especially concerning religious freedom. Thank, Thank you. you. One further down this way. Um, the front here and then it's coming to you in just one moment. Good evening. My name is Juan Rodriguez and my question is about the debate that was in Europe about the uh, Christian roots of Europe uh, uh, during the <coughs> negotiation of the uh, European Constitution. Did you consider that it was only um, a matter of the Berlusconi government talking about this, or maybe uh, does it reflect a more general concern in Europe? Thank you. And one at the front. Yes, I would, I would say that um, in terms of the exit polls, um, I saw something, I think it was in the Telegraph, although I don't know where you believe what the Telegraph says, but uh, it said, I think, basically, evangelicals, evangelical, sorry, evangelicals, and um, people who were strongly religious voted two to one in favor of Mr. McCain. Um, in terms of uh, the election, I would have said, as somebody who's had the held political office but in Australia, the economy was obviously the overriding issue in terms of how people voted. To see Wall Street fall by 25% and see what's happened to the um, stability of the economic system, uh, that obviously unsettled people. And I would said that basically people wanted to punish Bush and um, uh, people supporting him and the banks. Um, in terms of Palin, I think it's quite obvious that uh, he was trying to pick up the the gender vote, but it, my, my, the, the point I wanted to raise was that um, I would have said, I, what worries me is that uh, uh, President Obama, as will be, said, seems to have said very, very little. And uh, I find that rather worrying, and it seems to inspire a certain religious fervor. Um, having seen the people at the election rallies, um, he seems to be very little, or the people who go to them seem to have that sort of what you see in communists and Marxists and people of very strong political persuasions of right or left. And what worries me is that really he's had nothing but a soft ride from the, uh, from the media in general. And I think some of that might, might be due to a certain sort of version of racism or inverse racism to what, what we've, our views previously. And I particularly like John's view on uh, what he thinks of that. Um, I'll take one more and then we'll pause again. My name is Robin Dawson. It's conceivable that in 10 years' time, Western economies will not have recovered and that there'll be high levels of unemployment both in North America and Europe and there'll be a tendency for these societies to draw up the drawbridge. Which way do you think the evangelicals are going to jump in that case? <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, Shall we do John first this time? That's, that's fair, isn't it? <coughs> yeah. It gives me less time to think. Um, Chris, um, Christians in Israel, uh, yes, you're right. There, I mean, there, are, there, there is a bunch of them who are obsessed by the, by, the, by the idea that Israel has to be whole because that is a necessary part of the whole 
left behind Rapture, Armageddon, the, the lot of it. And you can go to you know quite really quite big mega churches and find sort of candles <coughs> being lit for Judea and Samaria, which you then discover is actually the West Bank. And certainly, if you go to the Holy Land, that there is the, the way in which American evangelicals are taken around it is is profoundly disturbing. I think they they just they they just don't see anything at all, and the the, the reaction of um, of Palestinian Christians to them, I think, is horror. They, they try the Palestinian Christians try to explain what on earth is happening to them. It doesn't it doesn't get through. But having said all that, you know, support for Israel and America goes. You, you, well, firstly, some of the strongest opponents of Israel and America, most obviously. Um, Jimmy Carter, uh, are, are, you know, the, 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 the most. I think there's somewhere most of the denunciations, most of the, denou- the, the the evangelical college of churches. I think it's called it's the, the country it's denounced most is, um, is 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 Israel and the number of um, the world. So the World Council of Churches. I think I can't remember which group, and I apologise for that. But there, are, you know, the evangelical vote is, is split on. It's, it's more split on um, on Israel, particularly actually with black. Evangelicals tending to be more sympathetic towards the Palestinians, and the overall point about Israel is America as a whole identifies with Israel. So it's a sort of it's a it's a it's a broader than just one thing. So you're, you're right to you know there's a group of um, of evangelicals for whom this is a, a gigantic issue and and, and it's and it's um, and, and perhaps frightening to the outside world, but generally um, it's a broader thing. Um, India and pluralism that they do down there. Um, or what I put, I've written down pluralism because that I think is is really what it's about, and to me, in, in this case, I'm particularly with Peter on the stage, I'm, I'm definitely the kind of kid bouncing a ball whilst um, David Beckham runs around merrily. Um, <laughs> but but it strikes me the absolute key issue about religion in the modern world and religion and modernity. When you actually talk through all of it, it is pluralism. If you if you if you have a society where people cannot change religions without getting into trouble, Saudi Arabia being the conspicuous example, and India, the sort of things the state politicians are going on there, then that is, it's very difficult to see how, moder- how modernity and that sort of religion can thrive. And that, I think, is a problem. Christianity still seems, and here I'm going purely anecdotally, to have quite a, quite a good selling point, particularly to lower caste Hindus, um, on, on the issue that they, if you're lower caste Hindu, you don't, your prospects aren't great, whilst the Christians promise them eternal life, and that seems to seems to work, um, and, the, and the sort of dignity of the poor argument still seems to, to go through. Um, on the US and the Vatican, um, I, the truth is, I, I suspect you probably know more about this than I do. I don't, I don't, I don't know about the issue of the religious freedom. I do sense if I was anything, any kind of kind of Karl Rove figure around Obama, you would be getting hold of him, shaking him repeatedly, and telling him to hot-foot it across the Vatican as quickly as possible to go through obligatory photo calls, because if he loses the Catholic vote, he will lose. I think there's a point on the Catholic vote that you, you have to distinguish between Catholics and, 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 and traditional Catholics, which ties to what, what you said, that, that, that um, I think traditional Catholics, or any kind of fervent people who go to church more than a certain amount, they, that they will tend to flock to tend to have voted for McCain. I, I, I was French, but the numbers, I hadn't, I hadn't heard those before. The Christian roots of Europe, yes, rampant political opportunism, no le- led, no doubt, by the great Signor Berlusconi. And it's almost, I think it was actually appalling the way that these people, who only a short time before had, had no intention of mentioning God anywhere in their constitution, 
suddenly the moment that Turkey wanted to come in, they suddenly started blathering on about how they'd always thought that um, Europe was a Christian continent. And it was, it was rampant opportunism by politicians. But I think, again, what's quite interesting is you look at the numbers, look at, look at the numbers from British areas. If you take areas which had previously seemed to be quite secular um, and you put a lot of Muslims next door to them, though the, 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 the whites, and I'm going to exaggerate very quickly, they will tend to self-identify as Christian much more quickly. So there is a sort of there is some element of that going on, for better or worse, um, some ways worse. Um, on the statistics again, I, I, I didn't know the facts about. Um, I'm sure I'm sure you're right about the Palin gender again. Um, you're much shrewder than I am. I should have said gender was also a massive reason for going for. I still don't think it, it, it was definitely a kind of gambit for the Hillary voters. I think I disagree a bit with Peter on Palin. I, I think that for, I'm not, I'm not arguing, there's no doubt Palin was also always ridiculously strong meat for the women of New York who clustered around Hillary. Um, I think she was also sort of strong meat for some, some of the basic evangelical vote. There was just a sort of sense that this was a slightly wild-eyed version, once you've, you've seen some of the exorcisms and things like that on, 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 on YouTube. This, my impression was that this, this, did, this didn't sit that comfortably with, with what might describe as, as moderate evangelicals. But my, again, my evidence for that is totally anecdotal. And I think oh, and the optimistic Mr. Dawson, where he is on the 10 years of unredoing poverty, um, <laughs> <laughs> which way the evangelicals jump with the drawbridge. I'm not, I don't know, I mean, some, 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 some there is this kind of cliched view of evangelicals in America whereby they're the people who don't travel very much and they're the ones who'd be the most nativist. I'm very much with Peter on that. That doesn't square with the sort of statistics, not least actually just through things like missionary work. If you look at things like short-term missionaries, evangelicals tend to travel so much more than other ones. And if, if the sort of evangelicals you develop in Europe, um, particularly the grace is right, I, I suspect, again, those will come from people like, dare I say, people in this room. It will be... It will be educated people who will drift towards that. And so I, I sort of tend to put them down probably possibly in the slightly more tolerant end of it. Sorry, Peter. If the recession lasts 10 years and I'm still alive, I'll be joining <laughs> a snake-handling cult in, in Appalachia. <laughs> uh, uh, let me just comment very briefly on three points that were raised. I can't comment on everyone. On Israel, that's extremely interesting. And I agree with John, there are different reasons why evangelicals are very much pro-Israel. Some are kind of eschatological reasons. All Jews will be converted and Jesus will return or something like that. I think for most of them that's not the main reason. The main reason is because evangelicals, because of their understanding of the Bible, have a very strong commitment to the Old Testament. And that means the Old Testament has to be taken as the word of God. And God promised this country to the Jews, and therefore they should have it. I think it's, it's, that's the more dominant reason. Uh, as to the missionary thing, of course, the looking at Jewish reactions to this is very funny. Because on the one hand, Jewish organizations are very grateful to evangelicals because they are pro-Israel. On the other, they don't like the fact that they want to convert them. And um, if I may just tell an anecdote here, I have an old friend uh, who is a now retired rabbi. And he was the for the Anti-Defamation League. Jewish organization fighting anti-Semitism, he was in charge of Christians. So he had all kinds of dealings with Christians. And he, he and other people in that world were extremely upset 
when a couple of years ago the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, biggest evangelical denomination in America, uh, passed a resolution. They will continue to try to convert Jews. And some organizations, including the Anti-Defamation League, got very upset with this anti-Semitism. And I had a conversation with him and said, look, I'm not defending the Southern Baptist view on converting Jews. I don't want to convert anybody to anything except the Barian sociology. But um, <laughs> uh, why do you think this is anti-Semitism? If you put yourself into their mindset, in order to be saved, you have to establish a relationship with Jesus. So if they did not con try to convert Jews, that would be anti-Semitic. Well, he had never had that thought before, and it troubled him. I don't think it changed his view. Um, uh, on India, uh, yeah, I think that's a very interesting situation. It's one place now where Christians are really being persecuted in certain areas. Um, um, on the whole, uh, evangelism, uh, Christian evangelism of any sort has not been terribly successful in India in recent years. And yeah, John mentioned that. Uh, evangelicals have been, uh, uh, especially Pentecostals, have been influential among Dalits, formerly known as untouchables, and hill tribes, sort of in the eastern part of India. But I don't think it's a very big movement in India, as far as I know. Um, well, one odd thing that is all that all you, you go and interview a lot of the Indian politicians who sit there denouncing these people, this is my, my experience, and then they, they all send their children off to Catholic schools. With, with, but they seem to trust the nuns never to One thing we can, I think, uh, I think one thing we can uh, take for granted: evangelicals will continue to be missionary, even in places where it's dangerous. Uh, a colleague of mine did a study of um, the um, uh, Jesus movie. If you know about this, incredible! I've seen it. It's awful. I mean, sort of, uh, it's a life of Jesus, a very literal <laughs> New Testament version. And uh, they've translated, it's an evangelical uh, uh, production. Uh, they've translated the, the, the text into, I think, 140 languages, more than any other mo uh, motion picture uh, after uh, Gone with the Wind. And uh, they're particularly interested in India. And they show it all over India. They go to villages, they have a screen where you can see the movie from both sides, and then they have missionaries who interview the people who saw the movie. And um, uh, my co I, I was just, uh, I listened to all of this, and my colleague said to this guy, well, you must create a lot of hostility. He said, oh yeah, he said, Fulvis got killed. And then he said, well, that has always been part of witnessing to Jesus. So they're going to continue doing this. And they're even doing it. Remember these 
poor women who were Koreans, but they were arrested yes. in Afghanistan. Right. I mean, um, that will continue to happen. Could I just check? There's no one. One upstairs, then, please. And then we're drawing to a close. So if you want to ask a question, thank you. I got in under the under the fence there. Thank you. Um, I'm Adam Dinham. I'm from the Faith and Civil Society Unit at Goldsmiths, University of London. I just want to have a go at reversing the question on the board there um, and ask: Do the panelists think that uh, the American elections made a difference to religion? Thank you. A good question. Did um, the American election make a difference to religion? In other words, turning the question around. Hang on, let's do a... <laughs> um, Hugh, uh, one just beside you here. Um, that one we've already done. And one there, and then I'm going to stop. Um, Hugh McLeod, in the 1960s, it looked as if uh, religious trends in Europe and America were very similar. There was a massive drop in church going in America in the 60s. The mainline Protestant churches and the Catholic churches all suffered a big loss in numbers. Um, in Europe, this downward trend has continued, but in the 70s, we had this big surge of mainly conservative Protestant churches at a time when the mainline churches continued to decline. How do you explain this? And um, we'll take one more question before we go to the final answers here. Um, my name is Jimmy Lusha. I am from uh, Sheffield University. I'm a postgraduate student there. With the kind of uh, confidence the economist endorsed Obama, if George Bush, with the kind of support he has from the evangelicals, if he were to contest the 2008 election for the first time against Obama, who will win the election? Okay, thank you. Um, three questions. One, reversing did religion make a difference to the U.S. elections? Instead of that saying U.S. election to religion, Hughes on the 60s, and the last one, Peter. Some of them, anyway. Well, uh, I don't know. I think the one thing I, I feel I can say something to is the, uh, the 1960s, what happened after the 1960s. I'm not clear that there was such a convergence between the United States and Europe in the 1960s, not to my knowledge. But uh, what uh, certainly is correct that the, the main church growth uh, among Protestants in America have, has been evangelicals. And I think the reasons are twofold. Uh, one is uh, very simple and material, and the other is more uh, ideational. Uh, evangelicals have more children. So while the average Episcopalian family has minus two children, the average Southern Baptist family has four. And if this goes on for several decades, uh, <laughs> that's going to be the visible results. The other thing is that the mainline churches have declined because they have, have become progressively uninteresting. I mean, the, the two major trends in mainline Protestantism, well, maybe three major trends. One has been a moralizing of Christianity. Uh, Nancy Ammerman, American sociologist of religion, has called this rather nice term, golden rule Christianity. What Christianity is all about is to be nice to people, okay? Uh, then uh, psychotherapy, it's good for mental health, etc. And finally, politics mainline churches, mainly left of center. Well, on all of these three things, after a while, it dawns on people, you don't need a church for that. You don't need to be a Christian to be nice. Uh, there are other ways of dealing with your anxieties. Uh, and um, uh, politics, you don't need the church to be in favor of some left of center cause. And I think the, uh, 
the abandonment by mainline churches of what could be called a distinctively religious message uh, has destroyed their own market niche. Not destroyed, but greatly weakened their own market niche. And John, my last word to you. Um, I'm thinking a lot about the, how did the American election make a difference to religion. I, I think it might in the following way, just thinking through it. I, I think the fact that you have Obama um, who is, it won't be so much an effect within America, but an effect around the world, is that you have this um, person who's um, viewed as irredeemably cool um, by metropolitan elites around everywhere, and yet he is, you know, a, a religious man. And so you're going to see this guy, you know, when, when Bush, Bush's religion was something that, that sort of Europeans, it, it was yet another thing, you know, he was not only does he execute people and um, like invading countries, but also he's one of those mad, born-again figures. It was very much the way in which he was he was depicted time and time again. Things like the um, Israel thing also went into it. Obama, I think it's possible that people, will, it might lead to a general, re, you know, why, why, is, why is this man, why is God so important to this man? And then that might, you know, the, I can't think, the, from the alpha course point of view, that's probably um, a lot of a lot of recruits. And I think it doesn't, I mean, there was some impact of that with Clinton, but as again, as I said, um, Clinton tended to be somebody who went to church after he got into trouble. Um, on the hot religion, I, I very much bow to Peter on this. It just, it is odd though. I mean, it's one of the big, I mean, again, having looked at it for this book, it, it, it's very, you know, the, 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 the argument about whether religion and modernity that, that makes perfect sense to me that actually the modern, modernity and, 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 and um, pluralism work very well together and that's bound to happen. What, what's quite interesting though is that the idea that when you have a sort of the more modern a country comes the more it heads towards the sort of hot religions. Um, well, why do the hot religions do so well? I think it's partly for the, the breeding and the reasons that Peter seemed to mention. It just seems to be also that they, they, they that, that, that it's, a, it's just a message which is much easier to get across. People want Firm messages. If you're trying to, if you're living the life in the atomized suburbs of um, Indianapolis, or for that matter, possibly Paris, um, you you want to have a sort of firm moral creed, which guide, which which gives you some kind of reckoning point. Is, is my guess. Um, it's, it, it's, it's a. Um, I've looked at some sort of sociology on it, but it, which again I bow to Peter. But it's, it's not still. I still haven't entirely seen the beyond how interesting they are. Um, Bush fear, Obama, Bush of 2000 versus Obama 2008. Again, I'm somewhat stumped on that. I think it probably would have been closer, and I think the reason why is if you took the Bush of 2000, he was actually, um, it's maybe hard to remember, particularly for younger people, Bush of 2000 was running under this ticket of being a compassionate conservative. And actually, I think that might have worked quite well against Obama. Um, Bush, the Bush of 2000 was a much more modest figure but is now depicted. He talked about America being humble and strong and all that type of stuff. And he was also, I think, um, he was what was clever about Bush always running as a politician, it's, it's very difficult to explain to European audiences that Bush always won the cup of coffee test time and time and time again against everybody he ran against. Who would you rather have a cup of coffee with? And the reason why was that people saw Bush and, and, and they just thought this is, he may have this weird patrician upbringing but he feels like somebody around the corner I can go and talk to. And the fact he mangles his syntax, all that type of stuff, I, I suspect in an odd way, 
that might have worked quite well against the sort of high-flown Obama rhetoric. Um, it might have, it, it might have worked. So I think it would, it would be very close. I mean, if, 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 you know, Bush Bush won two elections. He should never have won. He won in 2000 when Clinton Clinton Gore delivered eight years of peace and prosperity, and he's running against that. And he managed to win it at least partly. Whether he did win or not, but he but he 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 won it by the the way he was, the way that Americans could relate to him. They looked at Gore and they thought he's odd. And again, with, with Kerry, you could argue, you know, in America, losing a war, economy not gave a little bit of rough patch at the time. Again, maybe he should have lost it. Again, Bush seemed more normal than this weird um, other person. And actually, he might have been able to push Obama a little bit into that category, and he would have got the Hispanic vote. One minute, less than a minute, Peter, but you can say. Okay, just um, uh, because John mentioned pluralism, I think we can say modernity does not necessarily lead to a decline of religion. It necessarily leads to pluralism. And uh, that's why evangelicalism is very significant, because it insists on a personal, individual decision. In other words, evangelicalism, much more than just about any other religion, is, is transportable in the modern situation and requires the individual to make decisions rather than simply follow the traditional path. Thank you, Peter, for that final wisdom. Thank you all for coming and participating tonight. Thank you, Effie, again, for dealing with the detail. Thank you, John, for giving up an evening in a very busy week. Thank you, Peter, for stopping by between Vienna and going back to Boston. Um, may I remind you that there is a reception following and a book to buy. Thank you, Ashgate, for um, doing the reception. Um, it's been a very, very interesting evening. Please join me in thanking our speakers in particular.